Iowa everywhere. Heartland Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Dockerman and Chad Lystico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seat Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, and Iowans everywhere. It is officially the college football offseason after Michigan's 34-13 win against Washington in the CFP title game Monday. For the first time since Ohio State in 2014, we have a Big Ten national champion. Welcome into the Channel Seed Studios for episode 22 of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. I guess we made it through the first Big Ten season of the show, Scott. Uh, Chad Lystico of the Des Moines Register here, joined by the award-winning Scott Dockerman of The Athletic. Scott, it's the offseason. Time to kick your heels up. What are you going to do with all this time off? You know, shovel snow, um, use my snowblower and hope it doesn't blow up. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, if there was only an off season, that would be great. But as we know, Chad, there's no such thing as an off season, especially now when we come to college football. So uh, here we are. You know, there's still more to talk about and more to discuss when it comes to Iowa football, Big Ten football and uh, maybe uh, maybe a little basketball along the way, too. Yeah, definitely. We've got the 2024 Hawkeye roster, which has really come into shape to talk about. We've got Caitlin Clark on our menu today. But obviously, Scott, I mean, I don't know if you've ever gone into a restaurant and, you know, like, "Ah, what am I going to have for dinner? And then you just say, I'll just get a couple appetizers and that'll be my meal. Well, I think that's what we're going to do today, Uh, because the biggest topic right now for Hawkeye fans, and I think even in the Big Ten at this moment, I would say, other than the national championship that's done, is what Kirk Ferentz will do at offensive coordinator. It's such an important hire, especially given the state of the defense coming back in 2024 for the Hawkeyes. Uh, So, I mean, I'm ready to dive in. If you are, we can, uh, you know, we haven't really talked much off air at at all about this this week. So I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts on um, where things stand and why is this taking so long, Scott? (laughs) Uh, You know, you know, we're all kind of anxious about this. I know the fans certainly have been for a while, and it's it's it, like anything with Iowa, it's easy to make fun of it because, uh, you know, that's what we've done all year, whether it's the offense or, you know, the drive for 325 or whatever, and, well, might as well take all day and, and part of the next week on, you know, trying to figure out what they're going to do with the uh, offensive coordinator. But, but in reality, does it matter a whole lot? I don't think so. I mean, other than – if they want to get a quarterback in on the transfer portal before classes start next Tuesday, I do think that that's, that's kind of important and impactful, but I think in the big scheme of things, I'm not so sure that this is, this needs to happen. However, when you've got, issues in the sport related to Nick Saban retiring and in the NFL, Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll. And, you know, and what's Jim Harbaugh going to do now that uh, he's led the Wolverines to the national title? Uh, Yeah, I think it, you know, uh, Oh, and by the way, I always had this opening we've known about since October 30th and it's now (laughs) January 11th. Uh, You know, what's going to happen there. I, I think we're, you know, we just have to be patient like Job, right? (laughs) well thanks as always to our sponsor heartland flags and gifts which offers free shipping anywhere in the u.s and always has new products nearly every sport every team and every flag 
visit our good friends online at heartlandflags.com or in store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. However, I would recommend if you have a flag out there, get it down now if you didn't already, because uh, another <laughs> snowstorm is coming. It's going to hijack my my uh, trip to Iowa City tomorrow, I'm afraid, for the men's basketball game. But we'll see. You never know. Uh, I'll be there for the women on Saturday, I think, for sure. But anyway, yeah, uh, time frame. I mean, we were both uh, down in Orlando, Scott, and, uh, you know, uh, Kirk Ferentz said, you know, third week of January is when he would like to have someone in place. So we're just in the beginning of the second week of January, and they really haven't been gone long. And Kirk was in Omaha yesterday for a Reese Morgan uh, honor, the Tom Osborne Legacy Award, I believe it was called. And so... You know, there he's he's obviously taking his time, and that's kind of what he said. He wanted to get it right, so I'm not, you know, I would love to have it done too. Uh, you know, my wife and I are trying to plan a trip for next weekend, so mm-hmm. um, be nice if it was wrapped up by then, at least. But yeah. um, the, you know, the the at this point, if you weren't going to name the offensive coordinator like before January second when the portal closed, there's really not urgency urgency to do it like today versus monday right i mean because iowa doesn't even really go into their uh, dissection of planning the next season until february anyway i'm not i'm not excusing the delay but i also don't i also understand where kirk is coming from if that makes sense yeah i mean we're a we're a society that really demands uh everything to happen right now. I mean, it's like the next move should have been planned before the first move takes place. And it's easy to, to, to push that forward. And, and again, you know, with this, we can make fun of it, you know, and Oh, who's going to be the next head coach or the next OC. Is it going to be Nick Saban now that he's available or Bill Belichick or, or whatever, but, but largely, you know, there's so much here that he needs to figure out because this is the last signature hire of his career. Uh, I think we can agree to that. I mean, he's, he's what going to be, is it 69 years old this year? I, I don't know that he's going to be the head coach, you know, another six to eight years, uh, maybe another couple, maybe another one. I don't know. So he does need to get this right. This, this does need to be a, uh, a hire that propels Iowa forward uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And if, if that means there needs to be some negotiation, whether it's over financial duties, responsibilities, take your time. Um, they went after a quarterback. They didn't get a quarterback. I don't know that there's another one in there right now that they're really after, and maybe they want to wait until after spring at this point anyway, or there might be a graduate, a graduate, uh, you know, which you can always get in any time in the portal anyway. So I, I don't think that you need to press, but you know, it's kind of to reach the be quick, but don't hurry stage for me. Well, and I also, you know, remember Kirk's quote from the December uh, interview session inside the uh, facility where he talked about, well, there's going to be a lot more guys available come the first week of January. So I also wonder <clears throat> if given his long list of NFL contacts, <laughs> including yeah. uh, Bill Belichick, who's no longer, I mean, I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying that, but uh you know, there's a lot of new guys on the market. Who knows? You know, maybe he's just waiting to see, you know, uh, could there be an interest from someone you don't expect? Or maybe there's a there's somebody he's been waiting on. Who know? You know, we don't know that. We we do know that he hasn't 
made the hire yet. So, um, you know, we're not hiding it from you guys. I promise. Like, I, yeah. I'm not going to keep it to myself. <laughs> that wouldn't work too long anyway, right. uh, if I tried to. So um, anyway, I, uh, I, I, I like everything you said there, just as far as it, it got me thinking, like, he could still, I mean, even though we know a few names, you know, the Paul Chris, Joe Philbin, we're going to talk about both of those that are in the mix. Uh, he could still go another direction with this. He could, he could be, his mind could be, he's a big picture thinker. His mind could be still not settled yet. Does he want to maybe even think about, dare I say, a successor? I mean, I, I, it's just, you know, could he, where he could uh, get somebody to say, hey, I'm going to be here another three years-ish. Uh, you know, if this goes well, you know, I'm going to put a good word in for you for head coach. You know what I mean? Like, I just think there's just a lot of things that he still could be internalizing and that he's not ready to just sign some papers yet. That's a possibility. Sure. Um, There, there's a lot to to discuss. I mean, let's face it. He is replacing his son as, as offensive coordinator. I mean, that's not just another guy. That's somebody that he'll have a connection with the rest of his life. So that that does add a, a different level to it. And whoever comes in is going to have to even make sure to not make a gallows humor type joke about something about the Iowa offense. We can and we will, but not them. But as you mentioned, with some of the people that have been let go or are leaving, Bill O'Brien and I and Kirk Ferentz have a close connection for a long time. I mean, Bill tried to hire Brian multiple times, both the Penn State and the Houston Texans, to be offensive line coach. Um, you know, Alabama now with Nick Saban. What does what does Tommy Reese do? Um, you know, who comes in and replaces Nick Saban? How does that have impact the offensive coordinator? Tommy Reese was at Notre Dame, and then he was at um, you know Alabama. You know, now is he open? Does that? mean Kirk wants to investigate him. Uh, there are other um, OCs or pl- people with those kinds of ties in the NFL. I mean, we're now at eight job openings in the NFL. You know, how does that impact things? And then and not not to mention, you know, Luke Getzey's available, Chad. You know, so, <laughs> so oh, I really wanted to get in on the Bears there. Yeah. Eight coaches, but not the Bears coach. Yeah. But anyway, different topic, different podcast. We'll talk off air about that. Yeah, right. So uh, let's just start the rumor. Tommy Reese to Iowa, and he's bringing Caden Proctor, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> done. <laughs> well, you know, it, what's funny is you start to look at, uh, you know, the tampering situation. You know what? If you're Iowa, you do it. Back channel it. You know, don't don't go call him directly. Hey, I'm just wanting to know. But, but you know, <laughs> somebody was had mentioned to me, you know, what, what happens here? Well, you you investigate. And if that means you're up to 92 scholarships instead of 91, it doesn't matter. You know, you go for it. And then Tommy Reese, you know, what do you think of him as an offensive coordinator? You know, I don't know him well enough. I can talk to, you know, uh, Pete Sampson who covered Notre Dame or or your former colleague and now my current colleague, uh, Kenny Smith, who covers uh, Alabama. What do they think of him? But, you know, that's somebody that's out there that's got experience and he does it in a way that I think is – within the framework of what Kirk Ferentz likes to coach. So it's somebody that he should look at and unless he's really far down the path and understands the person that he wants. So, um, but it does add more people to the market. And, and that's something that Kirk Ferentz would be wise to, to look at. Yeah. That was kind of my point. I don't have an, I was 
in jest saying the Tommy yeah. Reese, Caden Proctor thing. I hope everyone understands that. I don't want to yeah. see it like on a message board. Lystico says it's a possibility. Um, yeah. But, but, uh, but yeah, maybe, it, who knows? Maybe Kirk Ferentz will be a genius by waiting this long, you know, mm-hmm. where he, all of a sudden everyone else has filled their spots, you know, and, and uh, you know, he gets you know, some guys that are coming about, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like the Bears maybe could go hire Kellen Moore now, for example, mm-hmm. you know, he's suddenly available. Anyway, ah, I always come back to this stupid bears. Um, anyway, do you, what do you want to talk about next? Do you want to any more on that, or do you want to get into like the Philbin Christ talk? Yeah, I think let's let's go to the guys that have been discussed, you know, quite a bit here with with Christ and and Philbin, right. and 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 why don't you go ahead and start, Chad, and kind of paint the picture for everyone. Well, I think it's it's still you know my understanding that both Paul Christ and Joe Philbin are still. In the hunt, uh, you know, no papers signed or anything like that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, so it's worth talking about both. I've been, I've been actually doing a lot of background on both of them, just kind of so I, I'm ready to go if one of them is named. And uh, you know, I let's start with Chris. I know we did a podcast. Uh, I don't know. It was probably a month ago, maybe about him. And I think we both kind of. I don't know, like fed off each other. And I, th- I think we both came to the conclusion that would be a good fit. And uh, I think the thing that that I like about Chris the most in kind of digging into his background is he was the offensive coordinator at Oregon State in 2004. And that year, you'll remember very well, the Hawkeyes beat Wisconsin 30 to 9. Was it 30 to 9? 30 to 7. 30 to 7 at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, that was a, a Wisconsin team that started nine and zero, but it was not a good offensive team. Mm-hmm. I looked, their completion percentage for the season was fifty two point six percent. Their points per game were twenty point eight. For Wisconsin at that time, was not good at all. Mm-hmm. So that drew a parallel to me, like, oh wow, that's not that far off from this Iowa team. I mean, this Iowa team was offense was worse but this Iowa team did win 10 games it completed about 49 percent of its passes and averaged 15.4 per game so uh similar where Barry Alvarez brought in a new co-offensive coordinator in Paul Christ Paul Christ the very next year uh clearly being groomed to be OC under Brett Bielema the following year had his team put up 34.3 points per game in 2005. Now, of course, Iowa beat Wisconsin that year. We all remember that and Barry Alvarez's farewell game up there. But uh, the stats improved dramatically. And then Chris's six years as offensive coordinator were extremely successful at Wisconsin. Extremely successful. Now, yes, he had Russell Wilson for one of those years. But uh, the 2010 team... Mm-hmm. Average forty-one point something a game, which was a Wisconsin record. The next year, they averaged forty-four point something a game, which is still the the Wisconsin record. And in the two thousand ten season, they set the Big Ten completion percentage record, which still stands today. So it's a guy that understands efficient passing, good running game, and has proven he can rebuild an offense that's kind of lost its weight. So that's why I like that's he's at the top of my list of guys we know about right now. You bring up a lot of good points, and I do remember those Wisconsin teams very well. And at that point, 
2010, 2011, I remember discussing him with with Mark Morehouse, you know, about, well, maybe Paul Chris could be a successor for, for Kirk, you know, at that point. And of course, we're now almost 15 years later and it still doesn't have one. Uh, but, you know, along those lines, I went back and did a kind of a deep dive on Paul Christ when he was the OC slash head coach at Wisconsin. And, you know, he gave it up in 20, took it back in 21 and then gave it up in 22 and then was fired. But, um, you know, the, the years, the, the things that stand out to me, Chad, about him as, as the head coach and the OC was they never had a dynamic quarterback. Iowa hasn't really had a dynamic quarterback either. Beathard was second team in 15. Other than that, you know, Nate Stanley had some good numbers and Paul wanted to coach Nate Stanley and never did. But, you know, I think the year that stands out for me is can Iowa be in this category? 2019, 34.1 points per game. They ran the ball 612 times and they threw it 500 or 351. They averaged 233 on the ground and 200 through the air. Their inter, the touchdown interception ratio, 18 to 5. Yards per play, 6.3. Rushing yards per carry, 5.3. Jonathan Taylor is a is a major factor for that. He is, is one of the best that has come through the Big Ten. You know, him and Barkley, there were a lot of really good ones, but he's at or near the top of the list. Time of possession. 35 minutes, 38 seconds a game. They just, you know, blasted teams. Iowa lost to that team 24-22 at, at there, and it was really a thunderous two-point conversion away from doing that. But what we remember in that game was that the possessions were very – were so tight. You just – you had to keep the ball, and there was like a fumbled snap that one point really was just so costly because they treasured possession so much because they kept the ball for so long. And they're also tremendous when it came to, you know, the red zone efficiency and all of that. So that tells me, you know, one of the, the issues I've always had at Iowa over the last five to six years is red zone touchdown numbers have been horrible. They haven't had any kind of red zone passing game at all. And if he can redesign that and elevate the passing game, the benefits will be widespread. The entire offensive line, opening day offensive line returns for Iowa next year. I don't know that it's a good one, but I don't, I don't think it's a bad one. But I think the fact is when Iowa cannot threaten through the air at all, that it crowds the line of scrimmage to where you, you have to hit every single block for it to be effective. And I think what Paul Chris can do is redesign the passing scheme, the route tree, the ability to space the the second, you know, the second and third levels of the defense to where there are openings increases, to where then you can run the football and you have the opportunity to surprise, but also overpower. I think that's what I really like about what Paul Chris is capable of doing. And is he you know, he's not necessarily going to reinvent the wheel, but Kirk Ferentz isn't interested in that. Defensively, right. they've never done that. So I think that's what I like about the numbers prove it, bear it out. And with a concentration just on offense, I think he's got a he's he's a really good focused uh, performer. Yeah, I I think my sense is Iowa fans would be pretty excited about him. I think Kirk Ferentz would be ha really happy with him. 
but it's not a you know we don't know yeah. if it'll be him but yeah uh, there are a lot there's a lot of things to like uh if he does rise to the top of the heap um and, and you know i think it's a i do think it's a factor that he was with texas this year and texas broke through and made the college football playoff he's not you know calling plays for that team but their offense improved with him on staff. So, right. you know, we, we don't know how influential he was, but you'd have to <laughs> you'd have yeah. to think if they brought him in, they were going to use him for some stuff. And uh, uh, I imagine it was it was pretty good. And, you know, he's uh, he, he just fits kind of that humble you know, everything I read. You know, I re- actually read the Jesse Temple's piece in The Athletic, mm-hmm. Scott. And it was kind of the downfall of Paul Christ. And there were some red flags in there as a head coach, I would say, where maybe, uh, yeah, I can understand maybe why he wouldn't get a head coach job right now. That's the way I read it. No, I, you know, I, I trust the reporting. And so, mm-hmm. and, but this, you're not asking him to be the head coach. You're asking him to coach football, be the offensive coordinator, call plays. He's done all those things at a high level. So I, that's what, I would excite me from the Ferentz standpoint and you can trust him, you know, Mm -hmm. you can try, you know, he knows how to play complimentary football. Yeah. (laughs) They had the fewest turnovers in the nation in 2010. Mm -hmm. So he was offensive coordinator. He he knows how to protect the football. They, they had some more turnover troubles later in his head coaching tenure. Uh, However, their defense took it away so much. It kind of glossed that over a little bit, but anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, any more thoughts on Chris or do you want to jump into Joe Philbin? Are any red flags, I guess, or concerns about a Chris hire, if that's what it is? I don't really don't have very many concerns there. I mean, I you know I would as a head coach, and, and as you mentioned, I, I don't I don't know that I would want that to happen now for sure, but maybe not even in the future. But I think if you just narrow it, and and people will will say, you know, what about recruiting? Well, off, Iowa's offensive coordinator has barely done any recruiting. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, kind of dabble in Brian Ferentston wasn't a whole scale recruiter, you know, Ken O'Keefe, Greg Davis. I mean, they did more of the quarterbacks and that's about it. And I think Paul's somebody you can definitely trust in that. But, you know, the other thing is I like his eye on quarterback. I mean, you didn't have great ones mm-hmm. other than Russell and they just kind of fell into him. You know, Scott Tolzien was the guy back in 2010 mm-hmm. and he was uh, a game manager. Almost all of them have been game managers. Mertz was supposed to not be one and it didn't turn right. out that way, but, but, um, you know, that I think overall, uh, you know, Jack Cohen in, in 2019 mm-hmm. was just a guy, you know, you mm-hmm. thought. And then all of a sudden he ends up being pretty good. So I, I overall, I don't have any con- concerns with him necessarily in this role. Uh, it seems like people are a little less enthused about a Joe Philbin possibility. And uh, I, I get that. I understand that as well, just because I think the initial reaction there, Scott, is probably – Oh, it's just another one of Kirk's guys, you know, Kirk's buddies. You know, we saw that a little bit with Ken O'Keefe coming back as QB's coach in 17 on a, on a different scale, high paying, you know, paid his buddy a lot of money out the, you know, in the what 17th or 18th hole of his career. So um, I understand that. However, you have to, you know, say the positive is about Joe is, you know, a guy that Kirk trusts, a guy that's been an offensive coordinator for a Super Bowl champion mm-hmm. in the Green Bay Packers in 2010. A guy with 20 years of NFL experience, basically, since he left Iowa in 2002, but which, oh, by the way, had the most dominant offensive line and offense uh, in 
Iowa football history, not just the Kirk Ferentz era with 37-plus yeah. points per game. So there's a lot there. Uh, however, I you know I see some red flags too, so I'm curious your thoughts before I get going on Joe Philbin. I like a lot of Joe Philbin here too, and there's there are some concerns that I think I kind of roll my eyes with in some ways, but I also understand. Um, he was the offensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers when they did win the Super Bowl and and win the NFC Championship against our beloved Bears. Um, that was unfortunate, but true. And then, and then people forget the next year they went 15-1 and one as well. And then he had to deal with uh, the drowning of his son at the same, you know, going into the playoffs at that same time. And then he became the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Um, he did not call plays for the Green Bay Packers. However, he set up the game plan that so Mike McCarthy could call the plays. He's on the headset with Mike McCarthy discussing each and every play. It's not like he, he's just like, all right, here you go. And then, and then Mike McCarthy does his own thing. He was there. He was part of it. It's, and let's face it, calling plays or even designing schemes in the NFL is a little bit more difficult than calling him for the Big Ten and for, you know, even now with, with USC and Oregon and the like in there. I don't think that working in Iowa is more difficult or challenging than working in the NFL. Uh, then going to uh, the Miami Dolphins, uh, some of the things that he did, I've really, you look at the quarterback situation, even though he was the head coach, he was involved in the offense. And Ryan Tannehill, uh, his uh, third, he went from, uh, 3,200 yards his first year, 12 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, to 39, 24 and 17, to, to 66, 4,000, 27 and 12. That's Ryan Tannehill becoming a better quarterback, but he is part of that. He gets credit for that. Their team success was very mediocre. I think they were seven and nine, eight and eight, eight and eight, and they got fired four games into his, uh, you know, they're one and three in the way they started. That that's possible. Uh, they had some Pro Bowlers on offense, and and then they also had some injuries. I think overall his numbers are, are good enough. I, what I like is he he's not just an Iowa guy. I mean, he had to be Kirk had to be talked in to bring in Joe Philbin because because of his connection with Ken O'Keefe. He left after what four years and hasn't been back. He went on to the NFL, had great success at multiple levels, was an interim head coach again with Green Bay, um, called plays at that point, and then now he's been an analyst with Ohio State. So he's seen the college game too. Um, so overall, I, I like Chris more because he's more experienced at the college level and has been in this part of the world, so he'll see most – he knows the opponents that Iowa will face. But with with Joe Philbin, I think he can bring a fresher perspective to the offense because of where he's been all these years. Yeah, the play calling thing was high on my list of concerns, I guess. So you you alleviated some of that there. Did you say he called plays at the in his, when he returned to the Packers? Yeah, before he became head coach, I believe it was in. So uh, McCarthy gave him the play calling in eighteen. Yeah. Well, okay. it was it was somewhere in there. I'd have to specifically, but yeah, he did call plays there uh, okay. briefly in I think eighteen. Yeah. Well, they were they were four eight and one. That's why McCarthy got let go. So maybe he didn't call him very well. Yeah. But anyway, I, I guess I'm. 
we've seen we've seen an offensive coordinator the last seven years without play calling experience. So it gives me a little bit of pause on that part of it. Um, but you know, I, I do like the NFL experience. Uh, you know, he's been around a lot of smart minds and. Even last year, being around Ohio State, how much did he soak up from Ryan Day in that, you know, one year? You know, who knows what kind of impact he had, but at least he's he's got a sense of, you know, a dynamic offensive mind there. And he was pretty successful as uh, Dallas Cowboys offensive line coach, too. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, although he got he did get fired there, too. So, uh, you know, he does have a, a history of being fired, but that's kind of life in the NFL, you know, we've, we saw that with the Bears this last week. So um, with a lot of assistant coaches that had a pretty okay offense, but they just mm-hmm. got fired anyway. But anyway, I, I guess, uh, you know, the, also the lack of not being a quarterback's coach is a bit of a concern to me too. Uh, now, Iowa does need help on the offensive line, so maybe you could argue it's even smarter to bring in an offensive line expert, but they just had an offensive coordinator who was an offensive line expert so uh talk me down off the lack of quarterbacks coach experience that one i'm probably i probably would want to know more about um and i probably would center a lot of my questions on if he's in you know he's brought in as to how much involvement did he have with brett Favre, aaron Rodgers, ryan Tannehill, uh among the others uh mainly those quarterbacks how much involvement did you have in the coaching of quarterbacks you know and and because that is a big concern and especially you know there's a little probably ptsd for iowa fans seeing brian ferentz go to that route um although i would say that joe philbin's been around enough good quarterbacks as an offensive coordinator you're involved heavily as with the as the oc with the quarterbacks that he doesn't necessarily need to be he's not like brian or oh yeah we're moving you over there um so how can he help them develop the game the passing system fundamentals all those types of things i don't know you know and that's something i really would want to dig in on a little bit here um it's probably more of a concern than it is say with, with Paul Christ. However, um, do I think that that's a deal breaker? No, I, I look at at Joe Philbin and think of his experience and dealing with Aaron Rodgers as an offensive coordinator. He obviously knows what's, what's involved in being a very good quarterback and he can see and visualize and discuss the game at that level with a veteran quarterback, a new quarterback, and then a veteran one. Same thing with Ryan Tannehill, who was, uh, you know, a first-round draft pick and then built him up. You know, he's still in the NFL. He's average now, but he had to develop that. He had to be part of it. He knew that once he was head coach and they drafted a first-round quarterback, he had to be instrumental in it. So I want to hear more. You know, now how does that measure up to Cade McNamara or improving? You know, does it help with steps? I don't know. And the other part is the, you know, where does he help? You know, does he going to coach the quarterbacks too? Or if he's not, who comes in to coach the quarterbacks? And where do you take them from? Uh, Because Iowa has 10 assistants, three are on defense, one special teams, and six are already on offense. Uh, Where do, where do guys go? I, those are things that I think are concerning, but I want to know more. I want to, I definitely want to know more. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's four defense, right? With Jay Neiman would be the four. Oh yeah, got five five offense. But yeah, you would need to 
Yeah, Dusham. I, I feel like you got to have a good quarterbacks coach, yeah. <laughs> given what we've seen the last several years and a uh, fresh set of eyes in that room too. Just my my thoughts, and I think Chris would handle both of those. That's another reason I like that part of it. Uh, but anyway, uh, do uh, want to raise a glass to our listeners from our friends at Steeple Ridge Bourbon. Steeple Ridge offers a high-quality, delicious drinking bourbon. If you don't find Steeple Ridge at your favorite retailer or grocery store, which is probably just – the grocery stores are probably just getting ransacked right now. The milk's gone. The bread's gone. At least it was when I lived out east. If there was like an inch of snow coming, like, good <laughs> luck. Good luck getting anything. People are stocking up on that stuff. Anyway, ask for Steeple Ridge by name. It's distilled Asian, bottled in Iowa by Lonely Oak Distillery. Scott, are you a snowblower? Do you have a snowblower? Because I'm already, like, mentally prepping for this snowstorm we're gonna, that's going to hit. We had a little practice the other day. But I do a couple driveways in our neighborhood, and it's it's pretty it's it's a process I really think about a lot. So, how are much you a strategizer? Uh, yeah, but I, how much snow did you get? We got eleven inches. Okay, we got fifteen. So yeah, that's I, I'm like, oh, you know, my back is killing me, and it's not so much for my because I use the snowblower, but but a couple of neighbors, uh, one was a, like a little old lady that didn't have a snowblower and I, and my snowblower got so stocked up with snow that ended up using my shovel. So I'm like, Oh, it's been a painful night and morning. So I, I can't imagine. I hope we just get a brush, you know, one of those, Oh, you know, four inches. All right. It's, it's a pain, but it will survive. I don't want 10, not this weekend. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm the worst part is when the, when you get it done, and I, I assume everybody can relate to this. You get it done, and then the snowplow comes and blasts another, you know, a whole about four thousand ice ball chunks onto the bottom of your driveway, and you gotta yeah. either shovel it out or mm-hmm. stick your snowblower in there and just hear grinding noises yeah. and ruin your blade. Ugh. Yes. So my strat here's my strategy this time is I'm gonna go. And I've done this before, and I know it looks crazy, but even while it's out, while it's snowing, I'm going to go get the bottom of the driveway early in the neighbor's driveway. I'm going to get the bottoms of the driveways, like stay on them. I'm going to stay on top of them. And that way, when the snowplow comes and ruins everything again, then at least it's at the same level as the rest of the driveway. And then I can just do the, then it's like easier. Then you're not just like getting to the bottom of the driveway and like, oh my God, it's like, 22 inches down here and it's heavy it's yeah. all ice crap that they put on the roads anyway yeah i'm looking sucks. forward to it yeah so uh on that note let's get into another topic which is the 2024 roster since we last talked yeah i know we're running out of time here but the defense is is now in place right for this offensive coordinator to shine and just be decent so i it's uh, where do your thoughts go when you think about Nick Jackson coming back, Quinn Schulte coming back, Sebastian Castro coming back? I think that all happened since we last talked. Um, and really, eight of 11 starters are back. The one you wish was back was Cooper DeGene. But man, uh, to have eight of 11 starters back off that defense seems pretty, pretty good. And then after that, Scott, would be has to be a rebuilding year on defense, right? So it's almost like this year becomes that much more important for the offense to connect early. You can't like wait too long uh, to be good there. Right. Uh, Iowa has the pieces to have success um, and, and to help the next offensive coordinator immensely, because when you talk about six different starters, basically, you know, counting Kyler Fisher, I suppose is a part-time starter. Um, 
all had extra year opportunities and they all elected to return, you know, Jay Higgins, Nick Jackson, that is a formidable tandem. Both had a hundred plus tackles. Jay Higgins at 171. They're both returning veterans. Sebastian Castro, um, might as well be a linebacker the way he hits, but he covers like a safety. Quinn Schulte coming back and Jamari Harris to go along with Xavier Wampa, you know, and and Deshaun Lee had a nice year, I thought, in replacing Harris early and then DeGene late. Um, your back two levels are basically intact. Kyler Fisher is your uh, third linebacker. and But I think it also provides opportunity for somebody like Carson Shire if he pushes through, maybe he gets to be the third linebacker. And then up front, there's there's a little bit more of a you know drop off, um, but not serious significantly. I think they, but they have room for growth. This defense has the potential to be better than it was last year. I mean, you think about this, Chad, that they led the country again for the second year in a row in yards per play allowed, and they faced the fourth most snaps in the country. And now you return almost everybody off that unit. This should be one of the best, if not the best unit in the country. Yeah, they got to get a little bit better pass rush. They got, you know, defensive ends are a little bit of a concern. That's nothing against the guys coming back. But, you know, Deontay Craig, three sacks last year. Ethan Herc at zero. Those are your starters. Uh, Joe Evans is going to be a lot to replace in yeah. leadership and on-field production. Logan Lee was such a stalwart. He could play almost every snap and just do everything you needed him to do. Feel great about YA Black and Aaron Graves there, but what's the depth like at D-tackle? That's a concern. Ontario Thompson transferred away. You don't know how good Jeremiah Pittman is yet, and you don't really know who's coming next in the pipeline on the D- at D-tackle. I mean, I don't really have an idea who that's going to be yet. Yeah. So um, those are the concerns, and I'd like a little, you know, like someone to make a jump at corner. Maybe that's John Nestor. Maybe he, you know, becomes that Riley Moss that everyone's talking about. You know, him seeing signs of him being a young Riley Moss, and maybe he comes in and is and starts, and he's great. Or maybe Deshaun Lee puts on ten pounds, and all of a sudden he's a physical and talented corner that's going to take the ball away. And Jamari, you know, kind of, you know, gets his feet under him now. Second Street. I don't know. It's just going to be fun to watch, and it puts a lot of uh, pressure. I feel like on the offense to perform. It all comes back to the offense. I feel fine about the special teams. I think Drew Stevens will be fine. I think Reese Dakin will be good. Um, so, yeah, it's just – it's back to the offense, Scott. We're going to be nine months of this, right? So, when it, whenever they hire the OC, though, he's going to be pretty popular, right? Because he's not Brian. <laughs> well, he will have a honeymoon period. Yeah. No question. And it doesn't matter if it is Joe Philbin. Most of the fans will rally around the flag and, and give him support. And, you know, at least until kid, you know, the, the open practice, uh, the spring practice, then they'll see all the things they hate about it and, and complain. But but when you look offensively, Chad, at this all five starters, the opening day starters are back. Good or bad, but that's the way it is. And that's, you know, when you're talking about a veteran unit that, you know, has taken a lot of lumps, they've had some injuries, um, that's a good thing. And then you look at Luke Lachey returning. Addison Ostranga, you know, tied for the reception lead this year. Um, And you do have Zach Ortworth. And, you know, so you have some experience there. Receiver is a detriment right now, no question. Uh, but, and then I look at running back when you got seven running backs who are on scholarship, that's, I think there's going to be fewer than seven come August. I just, I don't know which one I'm not going to predict which one or two, 
but I, I just don't see all seven lining up for the Hawkeyes. And then finally, quarterback. That's a huge concern. You know, Deacon played as hard as he could. It wasn't good enough. Cade McNamara won't be healthy in the spring. Are you going to go into the spring with Marco Lanez and Tom Polsky as your guys or Deacon or whatever? That's, you know, can Cade stay healthy? Because if he can't, you can't have what you had this year. It's just the fans won't buy it, and you might have some defensive result uh, revolt at some point. So I think finding somebody in the portal to compete with Marco for the number two spot, finding another receiver, and you might be able to get somebody cheap in that regard. You might, you know, Charlie Jones was a, was a starter at Buffalo and couldn't get a home. You might be able to say, hey, we'll uh, kind of borderline gray shirt you. You walk on this fall, we'll put you on scholarship in the in January type of thing. You might be able to, to squeeze that one if you need it. But, but overall, quarterback and wide receiver, if they can figure that out with an OC and a decent scheme, you know, yeah, I think this team could be competitive for a playoff spot. Yeah, and I think whoever they get as OC, there's going to be a little bit of momentum there. There always is. And maybe that person is able to, you know, the idea of that person is able to attract somebody in the spring portal period. I mean, we you don't really need a, all of spring practice to be good at wide receiver in August. You can you can arrive in June and be fine at that position. Not as much as quarterback necessarily, but I still think that's probably the way they go if they feel like they need a quarterback come May, then they will, because I just don't see them adding anybody in there. I listened to uh, Tom Cakert's podcast yesterday, and he's like, he looked in the portal, and it's just like there's not much there at quarterback right now that you'd even want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, There's a lot of guys in there, but, you know, nobody of note, and plus they're, you know, you're not going to get anybody real great to come in and, hey, I'll just be a backup. So mm-hmm. I think you're just going to have to wait till the end of spring and be my guess on on that stuff. Yeah, either that or a grad, uh, you know. Yeah, you could get a grad, grad transfer because, um, you know, they're they're going to be, I would say, probably lower level guys. But but are they going to want to come in and start, or are they going to mm-hmm. want to come in and compete, or whatever? That's that's a different situation. I mean, what we're discussing about the quarterbacks now is similar to what they had with Deacon Hill last year. You know, you you had they grabbed him. You know, they you know after he'd already committed to somebody else, and and that it didn't work. Now I'm not suggesting that everybody else will be Deacon Hill, but it's, it's something you have to be cognizant of. And, and the fact you don't have an OC, there's not many quarterbacks that want to just come in and say, yeah, you were number 133 in offense. And we're going to just take this blind leap of faith that you're going to be better. And so I want to be a part of it. And I mean, it's just, you're going to have to have something established before you get somebody of value. But, but if they can, if they get to March and they realize they still want somebody, then, you know, there are a lot of conversations out there yet to be had. Yeah, look at Illinois last year. They had they brought in John Paddock from Ball State, and he wasn't the starter, but he was a very, very capable backup, as we saw, and mm-hmm. uh, threw for 500-plus yards in a game off the bench and beat Minnesota off the bench. Uh, couldn't beat Iowa, but he did play that whole game. And, um, yeah. you know, they almost beat Iowa. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, that's the type of guy you need is, is somebody that can come in and be a willing backup at, at minimum and then fight for the job when if and when Cade gets hurt and maybe we don't even know if Cade will be ready for the opener we don't know yeah. that for sure yet so um yeah. anyway. well my, my question to you is then 
Chad. How much if you're the new OC and you're Kirk Ferentz, do you do you mandate Kate as the starter, or do you say, hey, you know, if you if you can get somebody, let's say you get somebody in the next few days, but let, mm-hmm. or even the spring, you know, after the spring, come in and compete to be the starter because you, you know you'd hate to. He hasn't to me. He hasn't put in enough equity on the field mm-hmm. to have earned a second year of rubber stamp. You're the starter. Last year, okay, but this mm-hmm. year, he you know he wasn't that great in the games that he played. You know he was hurt, but he still. Uh, I, I think you you bring somebody in and you give them every opportunity to win the job. Yeah, I agree. And you just have to. I mean, I think if you have to, be, you just have to be realistic with Kate on that too. I mean, um, you know, you know just. Look at the stats. I mean, it was like 100 and I don't know, 20 yards a game. Maybe not even that much. 110, maybe I don't know. It was it was not good. He had, in the four games, four full games he played. I mean, 40 some against Penn State. He yeah. was that was the healthiest he was. 40 some yeah. yards passing in that game. So, yeah, 51 percent completions. You know, is it scheme or player? We'll find out. But uh, yeah, I don't think that just automatically makes you. Makes you the starter, and so yeah, it's a uh, certainly a high concern. I, I would think that would be a high concern for whoever the OC is too. Like he's going to come in here and look at that, like oh, uh, maybe we should get someone a little bit better in here. Um, yeah. you know, unless Marco just takes spring practice by storm. But. Right, right, and you know, I, I think you give him every opportunity as well. You know, and if he does it, great. If he doesn't, well, that's that's fine too. I mean, you know, that's what the portal's there for at quarterback. But I think with the uh, you know, with, with Cade, he, he came in high promise and then he had this quad issue and in uh, August and it never went away. And it was finally starting to go away towards the end of September. And then he turns his ACL and that's a year after having knee surgery on the other knee. So, you know, do you risk an entire season again on the health of a quarterback who really hasn't put in uh, enough equity into this program to do, to warrant a, a rubber stamp starting role. Well said. Uh, well, I'm, I don't know about you, Scott, but I'm feeling as good as I have all year about the Iowa women's basketball team last night, defeating Purdue 96 to 71 to improve to 16 and one for the season. Caitlin Clark, another triple double 26, 10 and 10 should have been 30, 10 and 10. If the four point play would have counted, um, but uh, she comes home needing 40 points to pass Brittany Griner for number four all-time in scoring as they face Indiana Saturday night, 7 o'clock. You know, the, the reason I'm feeling good is you know, I was a little concerned earlier in the year when I was just like, oh, gosh, Caitlin's not getting much help. Uh, but now, Scott, we're seeing Kate Martin put up just about 15 points every night uh, with versatile stat lines. Hannah Stolke's playing as, as aggressive as we've ever seen her. Uh, you know, and, and becoming a force not only in transition but in the half court. And then uh, Gabby Marshall heating up. Molly Davis, quality player, uh, getting better and better as a Hawkeyes. And then Sydney Fulcher is really be, uh, has really given Iowa a lift as kind of that sixth player off the bench. So uh, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling a lot more optimistic about Iowa, which I know sounds crazy as a defending national runner-up, but you had to have concerns. I feel I'm starting to feel pretty good, and I'm really interested to see how they size up with Indiana, which is also a really good team. Fourteen and one Saturday night. Absolutely, this is what it's all about. Um, you know, both are the, they're the only two undefeated teams in Big Ten play right now. They have uh, 
you know, they're both ranked, uh, you know, Iowa third. I think Indiana's 13th. Indiana didn't play real well. I think that was a classic uh, uh, trap game for them. But overall, you know, this is a measure up opportunity for Iowa. I mean, when they played a really good post against Kansas State, they lost one game. They won the other one. They played K-State. But I think it, it created some issues. I want to see how, you know, and I actually think, you know, what Lee was really good for, for Kansas state, but, but Mackenzie Holmes, you're, everybody's aware of how good she is and she's going to be somebody that you're not, just not going to be able to stop. You know, you're going to, you hope to slow her down. You hope maybe to get her in foul trouble or, or something like that, but she's a quality player. You're just going to have to accept some of the issues that, you, that she gives you. But, but, you know, this should be a sold out crowd, weather permitting, um, Tickets I saw on Seat on SeatGeek, I think it was like two sixty nine for for tickets for resale for this. Uh, Fox Main Fox is going to be there. Gus Johnson's going to be here. It's really overall um, an atmosphere that we haven't seen in basketball on this campus for a long, long time. And and as you said, Chad, I I like the way this team is progressing because that Kansas State loss was very concerning. Absolutely, um, yeah. I, uh, you know, there was nothing from Gabby Marshall, nothing from Kate Martin, you know, and it's like when Caitlin has a bad day, or is this team going to fall apart? And Sydney Alfalder to me is probably, I mean, she's been the glue piece, you know, because she's doing so much. And then I think Hannah Stolke is probably one of the best seven or eight players in the league to go along with Caitlin Clark being obviously number one. Yeah, how, how wild is this that Caitlin Clark is on Fox Saturday night? Her favorite NFL team, the Kansas City Chiefs, are on Peacock at, yeah. the, at the same time. Uh, unfortunate that she can't watch the game. Her her and Molly Davis, huge Chiefs fans. But, yeah. but I guess I'll have to stream Peacock during halftime. Yeah. Well, or during the game. <laughs> <laughs> they should put it up on the scoreboard. But yeah, it's a little bit of intensive game Saturday night. Uh, it's an interesting measuring stick. It's the first meeting since last year's end of season buzzer beater from Caitlin. Mm-hmm. That, of course, is the the shot heard around the world that really, I mean, that one really elevated her profile even more last season. I felt like that even launched her profile going into the NCAA tournament. I think I've teased this, but yeah, I'd. Uh, took part in a documentary about that very game that I think airs in about a month, something like that. I'll let you guys know. But um, that's how big that game was. And now this is the first time that those teams have faced off since that game because uh, they didn't meet in the Big yeah. Ten tournament. So it should be an awesome atmosphere. Uh, I think Caitlin went for 34 in that game last year. And uh, <laughs> I yeah. assume she'll bring it again mm-hmm. uh, on, on Saturday. It's just going to be such awesome theater. Yeah, no question. That was that was unreal. You know, that two day period. I know you talked to the BTN and I was there for both games, too. And the first game, the, the Michigan State, Iowa men's game, uh, pretty much, you know, hey, if it's if it's a blowout like it was looking, I, I don't write. I just OK, well, that's fine. But then I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> I got to change my my day around. And then, of course, I expected to from Indiana, Iowa and, and gave me more than I ever could have asked for. Uh, you know, the w- one question, though, one thing I, I have that's I've seen a couple of fans mention this and Iowa should probably be a little bit cognizant of this. We know Caitlin Clark is the 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 biggest 
straw and the biggest drink when it comes to, to sports. And you see her on the road signing all these autographs for people and taking pictures with, with athletes. And there's tweets. This is bigger than the game and stuff. Doesn't really do that at home. You know, and I know I've talked to there. I've seen some fans saying that, that, well, it'd be nice to have her do it here. And I know she does sometimes where she's leaving the court and maybe she'll sign a few. But, you know, you wonder, is there a way that they could do that? Uh, Make her a little bit more accessible to the home fans. And uh, because, yeah, it's it's huge on the road. But you'd hate for there to be that empty feeling in a little bit, because I know a lot of the the kids get shooed away very quickly. Uh, I, I would like to see a little bit more accessibility to some of the home fans than Iowa City. Yeah, I know uh, my daughter is super excited. She's going to see her in person for the very first time in a couple weeks against Nebraska. And she's like, you know, Daddy, do you think I can get an autograph? And I'm like, I don't, you know, it's pretty hard to get one, but um, you never know. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, maybe hopefully they'll have it figured out by then. But, yeah, I'll, I don't have much to offer on that. I know she's amazingly generous with her time and yeah. um, always been so good to the fans. So, uh, you know, I I don't have any criticisms of her from that end. But maybe Iowa could do something, like you said, a little bit a little bit differently. I don't know what that is, but um, good well, point. Well, I know I know that people will mob her and I know you've got to be yeah. careful yeah, about her. Sure. And, and I, and I'm not necessarily criticizing her. It's just something that I started to notice last night when people were saying, I brought my kids to a game and, and all of a sudden it's like, eh, maybe we could get a little bit more, you know? And, and again, <laughs> I, you know, watching her with athletes, it's been amazing. Megan Gustafson before her, all these players, but it's, it's just something that they probably should. Yeah. Okay point noted let's let's see what we can do um it, it, it's, it's just you know i don't know i don't want to be critical but i just want to throw it out there well scott I, last week we closed the show by saying uh, hey next time we talk to you maybe we'll have an oc to talk about so i'll that's i think i'll close it that way again for scott doctorman this is chad lastico Next time we talk to you, maybe we'll have an OC in place that we can talk about. Thank you for tuning in to Legends and Listeners from the Channel Seed Studios. And we will talk to you next Thursday, and I suppose even possibly sooner if circumstances warrant, right here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Iowa Everywhere.